Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Trumbull, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, is Steven Taylor. How are you two doing? Pretty doing good. well, yeah. It's It's been horror-filled for my last uh, three days here. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, I did Pearl, <laughs> which uh, Judy Garland on steroids <laughs> on horror yeah. steroids a bit um and then i finally got to do barbarian uh on friday night uh friday night Ugh, so perfect. i was a week late to that shit and i was like it's like the the best horror film of the year oh in my hands opinion down. Hands e- easily down. yeah and then yeah i did both films for homework yesterday i have seen them both before but it's been a long time since i've seen them so uh yeah just to uh get a little angry scrim refresher uh, for the... <laughs> so i did those back to back last night awesome. um so yeah it, it's it's been uh it's it's been quite the the movie viewings in the last couple of days awesome and uh we're joined by a special guest david weiner who if you don't know his name, you at least know what he's been working on lately, which is the In Search of Darkness documentaries. Uh, and the third one is set to come out on October 6th. David, how are you today? Uh, I'm great. Pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's always great to have people who also appreciate horror just as much as we do on. so Because uh, that's really what this podcast is about, just celebrating horror and all the best that it has to offer. And uh, boy, oh boy, I think... Well, there's going to be some uh, some opinions, but I think mostly positive uh, on uh, this week's movie, which is Phantasm, uh, a great 70s horror flick that uh, I think uh, <laughs> you can make up your minds and your, your opinions on whether you think it's uh, very loose structure works for you or not. But re- regardless, it was very innovative uh, for its time. Uh David, when I mentioned the movies we could be uh, covering together, this one jumped out to you. Is this uh, one of your favorite movies? Oh, I love Phantasm. I've been a Phantasm fan since the beginning. Um, Phantasm, just a little context for me, I was a 70s kid and an 80s teen. Um, And so when Phantasm came out, I was still too young to see it in the theater. But Mm. uh, it promptly went to cable. And uh, I, every single friend of mine who had cable would talk about, you know, the, the silver sphere and, and, and how haunting and amazing it was. And I, I was I was jealous. And I, I was like, I got to catch this. I got to catch this. And I finally it, it sort of it sort of built up as this epic thing in my mind before I finally saw it. So when I finally did see it, uh, it blew me away because it was so different than what I even expected it to be. And um Phantasm and Phantasm Two uh, are two are, are just my favorite Phantasm movies. In fact, I rewatched Phantasm Two last night just as sort of a, a refresher. Yeah, uh, 
absolutely love these movies and uh didn't grow up in the 70s uh i was born in the late 80s so i feel like i was a little bit born in the wrong decade but uh man to be alive and watching those movies as they were coming out must have been fantastic well you you live in a in an era where you get essentially instant gratification so you hear a title we all do now not just you but in terms of like mm-hmm. all the stuff that was done and if you missed it when I when I was growing up and a, you know a kid and a teen, if you if you missed it in the theater, you either had to wait for it to be on TV or you had to find a friend who had bootlegged it or you found it in the video store. Yeah. But it was more of an effort. These days, uh, we're all wonder. It's just nice to have instant gratification where at the click of a button you can have a movie. And yeah. um, I'll just say real quick, I, I use you know sites like Tubi actively just for my movies where i'm like all right what was that one scene where that one monster did that one thing and i'll just <laughs> half the time it's just on tubi and it's i can just find it right away or just a clip from it on youtube mm-hmm. and um it's just amazing how you could have this stuff at a touch of a button 100 percent. well if you didn't know what phantasm was about and really you're deprived of uh such wonders <laughs> The official summary is a teenage boy and his friends face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as the tall man who employs a lethal arsenal of unearthly weapons, which I think the sequel later calls them sentinels. Uh, in this, there's just very uh, interesting spears that do many amazing things in terms of gore. Silver balls. Sorry? Silver balls. Silver balls. <laughs> is that what they're referred to in the first movie? Uh, that's what everyone called them, silver balls. That's funny. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the Polish name for this title is also killer balls, too. So they could also be killer balls? <laughs> that works for me. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dave, you kind of touched on your first time uh, watching this movie. Steve, what was your first time like watching Phantasm? I think it was at some point in the mid-90s um at, at a one of my early horror loving friends houses and i remember just being enamored with it it didn't freak me out like i was just probably um a couple years off of when i was really accepting horror movies and i was able to like get deeper onto the like how they made it and stuff and rather than be scared by the imagery on the screen um and even still, I, I feel like Phantasm isn't one of, like, the scary, um, like, it doesn't give me any kind of, like, the creeps or anything. It's just, like, a cool, like, oddly sci-fi related horror film that just, like, continuously, like, revamps its own rules as it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I remember watching the first time and, and Angus Scrim is just so fascinating. And I'm like, what is he, like, 12 feet tall? I don't... I don't. I didn't understand how they like how they were able to make him look so giant and stuff um, at the time. But yeah, uh, the cast, rewatch definitely brought a lot short, back. Short actors next to him. That's the, how you do it. That's how you do it. So Reggie Bannister is like really short. Yeah, he's not that short, but yeah, <laughs> that's sort of the trick. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, but I I remember it like like visually, of course, with the the sphere and everything, and and the sound design I really liked as well. Yeah. How about you, Taylor? What was the first time you watched this movie? Uh, 
I watched it just last week for the podcast. Uh, and it's funny, David, you talking about accessibility of movies and things like that. When I was looking for the second one in the series, Shudder, for some reason, only has the first, the mm-hmm. third, and the fourth, I think. And I was so annoyed by it. And it, I didn't even have to leave my home. But just, like, turning on my VPN was too annoying for me because I couldn't watch all of them on Shudder at the same time. Well, um, it's a universal film, rather than the other ones are independent. And uh-huh. I'm sure it has nothing to do with that. And um, Shout Factory put it out... Uh, couple uh, probably more than a couple of years now but i have a shout factory copy and so that was that was my saving grace because i i was looking for it online and i couldn't find it either mm. and, and actually the one that you're watching on shutter is the wellgo usa re-release it's, i believe it's a 4k re-release or something that they did and it was actually jj abrams bad robot that did the reproduction on it mm. yeah i i remember seeing that uh uh, during the movie, then I was watching it on Shutter there, especially. Yeah. Um, but uh, as for my first time watching it, oh, it was. I was taking a film studies course, and I was sitting in my professor's office, and I saw that uh, she had this silver spear in her office, and for some reason, I thought this must be something from a movie or something. So when I got home, I Googled it, and I found out uh, about the Phantasm movies, and I thought, she must be a fan of these movies, so I'm going to watch the movie and do a paper on that, because I had to do a paper on how cinematography, like, establishes tone and all that, and so uh, I go and watch the first Phantasm and write this thing on it, and then uh, she hands me back, and I got a pretty decent grade on it, but I remember she just wrote, like, never heard of this movie, I'll have to check it out sometime, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> but then you know, of course i'm like well i walk away being a fan of the phantasm movie so after that i watched uh the sequels and uh yeah it's interesting because i think the first is the most cerebral and the most loose in terms of its structure but i think that's what makes it so interesting it almost is dreamlike in a lot of ways it's almost like you're you're in the midst of a dream and it's kind of hard to know what's real and what's not. The movie definitely kind of plays with this idea of what's reality in this movie. I, I, I think the second movie also does that in the third act as well as it starts to shift into that kind of vein yeah. to me as well. 100%. The music, I think, really makes a big difference as well. It's got an incredible mm-hmm. score. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, I think it's drafting a little bit off of John Carpenter's, uh, you know, music, you know, whether it's The Fog or whether it's uh, Halloween. Actually, The Fog came afterwards, but, uh, you know, coming off of Halloween and um, it, it's got a different vibe. It doesn't have that relentless vibe that Halloween has, but it does have that really wonderful sort of 70s synth sound that uh, creates this ethereal sort of sense of, of phantasmic feelings. Hey. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we do have a couple emails. One's from Brian who says, First time watch, and wow, I'm starting to grow an appreciation for 70s horror movies. If there are more gems like this, then I need to deep dive a bit more. I think 70s horror gets glossed over quite a bit. I mean, a lot of people love 80s horror, and justifiably so. But yeah, 70s horror, there's some good, good stuff out there, too. I think late 70s horror gets overshadowed by, like, the the big ones that people talk about your Halloween, your Friday the Thirteenth, all that kind of stuff, and yeah. some of them 
fall by the wayside. But I, I still think Phantasm is still like a beloved enough franchise and for horror fans that um, it shines through. I think you kind of forget that it was made in 1978 or yeah. 79. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then we get to the second movie, which we'll talk about uh, later. <laughs> but uh, the second movie definitely feels more like it's in tune with like the 80s movies of its time, like the slasher movies and whatnot. Uh, whereas this movie just seems to be entirely doing its own thing, so I, well, I think it's it's crazily separated because it's like I mean because the second movie was eighty eight, yeah. I want to say, so it feels very different. As soon as you see Reggie Bannister, you're like, oh yeah, okay, okay wow, it's it's been some time. Yeah, it it nicely picks up right where the first one left off, mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I love about it. Um, but it has a much more linear sort of road trip feel to it it does feel bigger it's like they kind of redid it with a bigger budget but mm -hmm. what what makes it more linear is again i mentioned earlier that that it, it's a studio film um and so they don coscarelli who directed it was sort of uh subjected to uh, audience test screenings and they needed a little more explanation to the stuff that didn't make sense and so they had to do some reshoots to make sure that it was a little more linear and made more sense and wasn't too ridiculously uh you know out of out of this world but I, I think that to me personally i think it's a movie that lives very much in the wake of of aliens in 1986. Mm. um you know if you look if you compare that to aliens or you know going into the hive you you've got your your weapons you're fearless um you got to go in and, and save somebody it's really kind of a very similar vibe if you sort of put the two films together minus the xenomorphs Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then yeah. Wendy has a question. It says, I tried watching this movie three times over the last week, and I still can't get what it's going on in this movie. Really confused about the appeal of this movie. <laughs> part one or part two or just the whole franchise? Uh, I guess I this think she's referring to the first one, yeah. Which, yeah, I think like the, the other movies are a little bit more straightforward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen that common complaint about this movie. That's a little hard for some people to understand. I, I personally, I, yeah, there are some parts that seem a little, uh, kind of bit odd in places, but I think for the most part, it's like, okay, I, I think when you realize that they're trying to make this seem like a dream and even in the second movie, they tried to, I think they refer to everything that happened in the first movie as a dream. So I think in that sense, like when you think of it that way, it starts to maybe click and make more sense. But yeah, I can understand if you don't quite. Uh, I think I think uh, you might need someone to help you when you like hold your hand when you walk in to see Phantasm mm -hmm. and you just say accept it everything at face value. Do not try and find logic here. Yeah. And if you accept the ridiculousity of everything that's going on, uh, it's wonderful and it's a great ride and it's ridiculous and none of yeah. it makes sense but that's the charm of everything because it's so unpredictable yeah um, that's what I love about it you know mm -hmm. uh, none of it makes sense and if you want it to make sense you'll probably be angry at the film or any of it. <laughs> yeah I, I mean I think, on a oh sorry go ahead I was just gonna say I think that for me that the the conduit that keeps me on board is visually that this movie is so awesome on on so many different levels like i i love the mausoleum i love the this the, the just the, the marble look and everything um and i just the, these crazy careening shots down the hallways and everything uh i, I really love the sphere like the switch to the red 
mm-hmm. is just uh, i mean I'm, I'm a sucker for deep reds on on films uh and that kind of stuff like it just visually so stimulating that i i think it keeps you on board even if you're not maybe not sure what's going on in other viewers cases but uh yeah and uh like i said to start off this podcast i just watched barbarian which is a lot of crazy hallway hallway stuff so maybe i was like being influenced a little bit by my love for that that phantasm just picked it up even more for me mm-hmm. no barbarian spoilers by the way i haven't seen it but oh. I Oh yeah. boy! <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, well, I, I, it, yeah. I, that's all. Literally, all else. If if nobody's seen it, that's all I'll say about it. Because the best way to watch this film is blind. There's knowing nothing. Great. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, we also haven't talked about the the Hemi Cuda, their their signature car, which is in these these. Yes. Um, I. Even even if you're not a car aficionado, you could see that there was a very specific choice that they made to have this sort of uh, very American muscle car, uh, and um, it's just a very cool vehicle. And um, you know, I'm still waiting to get my my diecast version for my desk, but uh, it's just it's very cool, especially when uh, especially when Part Two is a is a road trip film. Seventies it feels more akin to the the era when muscle cars were really really big. Mm-hmm. And um, in the 80s, the fact that they still have it and, and then, spoiler, sadly, trash it, um, mm-hmm. it, was, it brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> I, I also feel a lot of Coscarelli's work to come kind of hidden within Phantasm as well. I felt like moments of Bubba Hotep, especially with the fly, um, and, well, and John dies at the end. There, there's There's a bunch that would come later in his career that I'm like, oh, man, that's like... You feel like the the inception happening in uh, Phantasm. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think also Phantasm 2 was probably the roadmap to a lot of his later films because he had, as an indie filmmaker in, in Phantasm, he had complete control mm-hmm. over what he was making. And then when he got a bigger budget and had to sort of uh, throw it in the hands of, of a studio... Uh, a lot of times filmmakers are just not keen to do that again. Uh, and even if it takes longer to, to raise money to make a film, they still want to retain that control. And so mm-hmm. I think that brought us, you know, John's Eyes at the End and Bubba Hotep and even the, the later Phantasm movies, which are ultimately a disappointment for me personally, but I'm happy that they were made. Mm-hmm. Um, he at least gets to uh, see his vision through. And uh, I think that is reason why he, his output was not so, uh, you know, he didn't have so many films beyond yeah. that. For sure. Okay. Well, let's get to some awards as we uh, give to the movies. Uh, let's go with our favorite line from the movie. David, why don't you start us off? What's your favorite line from this movie? Oh, um, hmm. actually, it's funny. When you were mentioning lines earlier, I didn't realize it was phantasm related. So, Give me a moment. Give me a moment. Sure. Give me a moment. I would say my favorite would have to be when uh, the tall man just says, the funeral is about to begin, sir. (laughs) Yeah, I had a a tall man line, too, when he's strutting after uh, Mike at the end of the movie, and he goes, you play a good game, boy. (laughs) That, That one was, he was just so cool. I don't know. He's just cool in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. 
because I, I really love that boy. Like, yeah. I really <laughs> the, this the delivery on those are really good. But I, I mean, it's probably a lot of people that love Phantasm would like the line, uh, "You think when you die, you go to heaven? You come to us." Like, I yeah, enjoy that. that yeah, I enjoy that yeah, one. Absolutely. Also, yeah. the sick the sick scene where they play guitars partway through. Yes. I I had to make a note about that because the song was so catchy. I like replayed it. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Especially yeah, because I was like, where are they going with this? Oh, I really like that. And then the the tuning fork being like a like kind of like a yeah. plot point stuff. There's I, I really like that because I I I like that right away they give you some resonance with the characters and even with Reggie, who you think could be a throwaway character. Just mm-hmm. the sidekick friend or whatever. That's why the dramatic shift uh, between his character in the first movie and the second movie largely works, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, is because they gave him a little little bit of depth. And in movies that generally don't give their characters that much of that that much resonance. No. Oh, the fact that they're always uh, singling out the fact that Reggie is is an ex ice cream. <laughs> ice cream vendor, you know, kicking ass and saving the world. Uh, that always, I love that because that's that's what makes him so cool. Because he's, that's his day job, you know. But he's mm. just like a, a guitar hippie. But he also, you know, kills and stalks the all man. Yeah, I also just love that the character of Reggie. Like they didn't even bother to give him a, a different name than the actor's name. <laughs> it's like you're Reggie. In real life, mm-hmm. you're Reggie in the movie mm-hmm. too. Like, just keep it simple. But I think that happened with Mike too. Michael Baldwin plays Mike in the yeah. in the movie. So, <laughs> yeah, not one for coming up with the different names. It's like you know what, you're Reggie in real life. You're Reggie in the movie. Well, and Reggie Bannister was a friend, was a friend of Don Coscarelli's, right? Yeah, yeah. They could have kept Angus Scrim's name too, and that would have worked really well for his character. Yeah, no doubt. That's like the perfect yeah. name. <laughs> for it's a, a horror character, name, by the way, his his real name is Rory. By the way, oh so, really? Yeah, oh. Angus Grimm is a stage name. Okay. It's a great, great stage name. name. Yeah, <laughs> really and, good. He, and he's a notorious, you know, he was a notorious sweetheart of a human being, like a really nice guy. But once he would get into that zone of the tall man, steer clear. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. I can see that for sure. I think his character's name, like. Later, they find out it's like Jebediah Morningside or something like that. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. And because Morningside Cemetery is the cemetery in the first Phantasm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, uh, what I love about Phantasm overall is that you just have no idea. It's assumed he's just from another dimension. Yeah, you know, if not, if not planet. And I love at the end of uh, Phantasm 2, I totally forgotten this, but when they kind of... Def- defeat the tall man um but maybe i shouldn't explain how uh there's a moment where this creature just pierces out of his forehead <laughs> and uh and uh it just says this is either it doesn't explain it doesn't explain it does this control the tall man because he's still mm-hmm. being controlled mm-hmm. you know he's still sentient afterwards but um or is it just uh yeah it's it, it doesn't matter and why try and explain it it's just a great <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it goes along with that whole you you just gotta buy into it you just you just have to believe it you can't think too much about it it's yeah, this is the I mean, way you, things are <laughs> you cut off his finger and it becomes this killer flying bug you know works for me yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah logic t- kind of goes out the window in, the, in a case like that so 
you just gotta go with it. Be like, yep, the finger's now a bug. This is what we're dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> now how do we kill that, it? That might be the pivotal moment that made me love Phantasm as opposed to just like it a lot. Yeah. Because it was just so just ridiculous. And they they played it to the hilt, that whole scene. Uh, where clearly they're just acting as if something's in a box. You know, <laughs> thrashing them about. It just, it reminded me uh, of, um, you know, Ash throwing himself around in the kitchen in Evil Dead 2 mm -hmm. kind of had a very similar vibe. Mm -hmm. um, and Sam Raimi is, is a pal of, of Don Coscarelli's. I don't know if you notice, there's this great little mm. Easter egg moment in uh, Phantasm 2 when you have one of the undertakers who is cremating someone uh, and sort of pounding the bones that haven't been completely uh, burned. He's pouring the remains in this bag to go into an urn, and the bag says Mr. Sam Raimi. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Little inside joke. <laughs> All right, uh, we got best performance. There's a, some pretty good performances in this. It's a little tough to choose. Um, I, I mean, Angus Scrim's really great. Um, at the same time, he's besides besides aesthetic, he's not doing a lot. Um, but uh, hey I, man, I think... it, it it takes a lot of work to be that cool sometimes. Uh, he he just oozes it on screen. He doesn't need to do much. <laughs> That's a, kind of like an awesome point. Yeah. Um, I I I I think the largely that uh, a Michael Baldwin holds this film on his shoulders though. It's kind of his film, and um, he does not do a bad job because kids are usually a, a real dampener in, in in movies sometimes, and uh, I think he pulls it off nicely. Yeah. yeah, I I put the same thing, especially after that scene where he gets locked in his room and he's like freaking out at the door. I was like, dang, this kid's—he's really acting in this one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always find myself—I always find myself impressed by kids, though. I don't know why. I'd, especially when like the really young kids just nail a role. I'm like, dang, kid, you did a good job. <laughs> I can I—it's I, I need... the it's the kids who aren't trained actors who are the best. Mm -hmm performers mm -hmm. because they, they, they sort of tap into just the reality of the situation as opposed to how do you want me to come across oh. and, and and you know when you you know sometimes you can it, it really comes down to the director and how they connect with the actor the child actor or the young actor um you know and if they can sort of bring that out of their performance uh it might take some time and sometimes you don't have that time but i, I agree i think a michael baldwin did a great job can I also say how inventive the shotgun shell and the hammer scene was? That was just great. Oh it's yeah, still it's still great. Like I remember be, it being great when I originally watched it, and then like, seeing it again, I'm like, oh yeah, this scene, I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll give some love to uh, Bill Thornberry. I don't know, he was he just was so effortlessly cool in this movie. I don't know. There's mm -hmm. something about him. I was like, you know what? He's he doesn't have to try that hard. He's just coming. He oozes cool, uh, and uh, you know, even uh, when he's hooking up with the the lady in lavender, I think they call her. I was just like, you know, you, you, you know what path it's going down, but still, you're like, you're rooting for him nonetheless. You're like, <laughs> you're like, this guy's just so cool. He, he how could he fail at this point? So yeah. And he's such a good older brother. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tip the hat to him. 
Well, I'll, I'll continue throwing some love to uh, Angus Grimm. I love Reggie as well. Uh, those are two, my two. It's not a phantasm movie unless you have Reggie and Angus Grimm, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Angus Grimm is the tall man. Uh, it, it's one of those written characters that you need someone to properly embody the, the dread and the threat. And him just walking around and, you know, carrying caskets that should weigh a ton, you know, and just throwing them around like cardboard, which they probably are, um, <laughs> is, is just amazing. Because when you don't have a lot of dialogue, it's about presence. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really, it really, if you just to have a scene when you're walking down the street and you're stopped by an ice cream truck to sort of sniff the, the cold, frosty air, and it's a moment that you'll always remember, uh, that to me is really what sold it for Angus with the tall man, especially with such limited dialogue. Yeah. I've got to give some props, too, to Reggie Bannister. Like, he loves horror you could tell like just looking at his filmography like he's in so many horror movies and yeah sure not all of them are great but uh you know uh he definitely you can tell he's got a love for horror same with a lot of the actors in this like they all kind of seem to stay in the kind of stream of horror throughout their careers which i think is great He's a legit musician too uh mm-hmm. you know that part of his character is just part of who he is and uh you know, he's recorded several albums. He gave me one of his albums to listen to, and I remember listening to it on a road trip home, and uh, it's good stuff. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, best kill. Oh. Caretaker. Yeah, it's got to be right. I mean, really? He pisses himself, which uh, <laughs> which uh, I believe uh, gave Coscarelli a hard time with the MPAA, with it's the body voiding its bowels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Why not? That's what happens. Yeah, right? I mean, you, I, I didn't need South Park to tell me that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because being a horror kid, I already knew that stuff. But, uh, yeah, man, get some realism. Shit yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm, def- I'm ever going to forget the first time that ball flies at someone's forehead and I'm just confused and can't look away the entire time as it's just like projectile vomiting blood and brains out onto the floor basically right it's the last thing you expect it's already sort of otherworldly as it flies around and then once Mm -hmm. it it connects with your forehead there's more to come and i think that's what makes phantasm to me that's always what sold it i was just like oh my god this is uh, out of the box thinking in terms of who would come up with something like this as, Mm -hmm. as as a devious tool and you don't even know the full extent of what it's capable of because you know for their films it's got more in its toolbox yeah Yeah, they get upgrades especially in the next one oh Mm -hmm. boy yeah yeah that that mortician scene in the second movie (laughs) holy shit oh it's brutal they had to cut that one down too to get get an r rating because it was (laughs) was way over the top that's one of the most relentless kills in uh, the entire franchise I, I I wanted to I, I wanted to go back and actually time how long that that scene is because it's it's intense. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, guy gets eviscerated from uh, the yeah. back through the through the mouth. You know, yeah, it, it, some time to carve its way through. <laughs> <laughs> well, like even uh, in this movie with the the caretaker. Like, what gets me is, uh, yeah, Barry's in, but then the stream of blood that comes out is just like, oh, that's yeah. just the, the cherry on top. 
for that one. So, yeah. The, the kills get, I think, a little more... Like, it, this one's a little subdued in the kill department, but, yeah, still, that one... You watch it, you're like, okay, yeah. I'm fine with having a few less kills if you have ones like this, so... Yeah, it sets the stage. You know, you sort of need it. And and when you watch them in chronological order, less is more in the first Phantasm. And yeah. then you, know, you kind of have to one-up yourself. And then it gets to be too much. What Was it Phantasm 3 where you have a room full of balls on the ceiling? And yeah. it's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Also, not technically a kill, but shout out to older brother Jody and his bullseye shooting. He, he shoots him at a ball out of the air. And then yes. late, later on, when he's throwing the rocks down the hill, he gets them all right into that teeny little grave hole that the, <laughs> the Undertaker's in. So good on you, Jody. Look, we already yeah. talked about how cool Jody is, okay? He just got to keep you're, proving you're how right. cool he is. You're yeah. right, you're right. I know, and he's wearing that leather jacket while he's pushing oh, those boy. rocks down the hill, too. <laughs> His aesthetic. <laughs> My yeah. wife's like, where are you getting that haircut? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, and then the last award, dumbest decision in this movie. Just decision uh, that really makes you just slap your forehead and go, why did they do this? I mean, can I, just from the get-go, Mike, maybe don't drive a dirt bike through a graveyard. I feel like that might be a little mean to the dead people that are underneath there. Not that he ever faces any consequences for that decision, but that's, like, right out the gate. <laughs> hmm. Also... Going alone, going alone many, many times to the graveyard funeral home by yourself without telling anyone. That's yeah, awesome. that, that was that would be great. mine. You know, uh, dumb decisions come down to what would you do in real life versus what the characters are doing on screen. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if they're doing something brave, you can sort of live vicariously through that. But when they're doing something really dumb, it it, it evokes a very visceral negative reaction. And you know, when you're constantly saying, "Why are you doing this? Why are you walking in this place?" again. You know, that's my mindset. Yeah. 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 Jody heading back without any backup. That's that's that's, that's the only thing I could equate to in this movie. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. It's just like, really, like you don't think to just call the cops, you know, call even some friends to come and help out something. But it's also kind of hard too with this movie because because it all feels like a dream. Like I don't know if it's like. Is that really the decision people would make, or is that just a part of this whole dream that we're watching? Mm -hmm. mm. You know, so. I'm sure it has a lot to do with budget, but there's something unique about the Phantasm films is that there's there's practically no one in them other than the main characters and a couple supporting characters. Yeah. Um, so you you know you're going through the second one really is about these devastated towns that have been destroyed by the Tall Man and his crew. But the first one, it's like there's no one in town anyway. It seems like no one's around. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who Reggie's selling his ice cream to because you don't see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't see lines of lines of kids. Mm -hmm. I have one more dumb decision that I just remember too, and it's when Mike is in the car with that other girl that I can't remember. Oh, right. We know her name. And the noises are coming from outside and Mike's screaming at her not to open the door and she does it anyways and then immediately gets got, basically. That's, mm, yeah, I judge that. Mm -hmm. I love the, the whole thing ends up shoving Mike out of the, through the back windshield. It's hilarious. It's, <laughs> also, it's shout hilarious out to, to the, the tiny hooded Jawa evil creatures. <laughs> yeah. Right? I... Which multiply even more in, in the second film. Um, and, uh, 
you find out a little more about who they are and why they're like that. But uh, those are great henchmen and uh, the way they're dressed and, and the sounds they make are, are frightening um, because it's all unknown. And uh, that's another element that I love about that movie. Which and it re- could be someone you love. I know. Right, Grandma! Just, I know. I was just going to bring up that line in the second one. Sorry, Grandma. <laughs> that's great. All right. I think it's time to give this movie a score. So, what are we thinking for scores? Man, I'm not sure. Someone else go first. I got to think still. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. It's fun. Um... It, Phantasm were never really my go-to films as far as like horror franchise go and everything, mm-hmm. but it was very fun to relive it again. Maybe coming off my Barbarian screening, that I was even more enamored with it and what it was doing, uh, you know, at the, in the late seventies. Uh, but yeah, uh, it it kind of like I would have loved to watch Phantasm and then like Hellraiser. I think those that would be a fun pairing. Um, yeah. I just kept thinking that as I was watching it. But yeah, it was cool to revisit it for sure. I would give it a 9 out of 10. And and watching it the first time around, I might not have given it that score. But uh, because it definitely sort of has its uh, its struggles as an independent film, you know, clunky dialogue and, and so on. Um, but this film has always stuck with me. And every time there's a new Phantasm movie, I, I go out of my way. To see it, even if it's going to be bad, I have no idea, but I, the hope is there. So it planted a seed when I was young enough in my brain uh, to be really obsessed with it because it didn't answer all the questions. It was very, uh, left a lot of question marks. It was very sort of uncertain. And um, I find I find the mark of, of quality for me in terms of rating anything is do I ever care afterwards to return to it? or to follow in the sequels. And and I've seen many a franchise where I could care less if there's another sequel because I've been let down so many times. Whereas Phantasm, I, I'll still go back and I'll still try and I'll still try and relive what I loved about part one and part two. Yeah. I, I think that's another reason why I'm having trouble is because I didn't continue on with all of this, the movies in the series. I, I just started out with one and two for this podcast. Um, and I've read a little bit about the not like plot things, but just about tone things of the the sequel movies, and they sound like a lot of fun. So I I feel like I'm gonna have to settle on an eight for this, with potential with potential to go higher because I know that I might end up enjoying this movie more as a part of the whole series as well, um, and not just as a standalone movie. Although as a standalone movie, I I agree that I like that it didn't answer the questions. I like that even still there's a there's questions that aren't necessarily answered uh, in the sequels and things like that, because not everything always needs to have the answers. You know, sometimes things can just be like goofy and alien and we don't always need to know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I liked that at the end of this movie, um, Mike, they kind of leave it on an open end of like, did Mike, did Mike just die at the end of this movie? Did he get got? Is, is it? um, And you don't know until the second one, what happens. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go with an eight for this one and, we'll see the sequel might be even higher than that yeah the first one i just have to say that moment is is also it's this great sort of kicker at the end where the the tall man wins 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and even if there was never another uh, phantasm, that's great because, you know, in the 80s, it sort of turned around where the hero or heroine always had to be victorious. And here the uh, the monsters win. And that's what makes it such a compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. I do really like this movie. It's, uh, it's great and to rewatch it and to take it all in. I think once you kind of understand more of what to what you're jumping into with this movie, I think you start to appreciate it a bit more. Uh, at least that's the case with me, where I, the first time I watched it, I was like, "Like, did the edible kick in a little too soon? Like, I'm so confused." And now I watch it, and I'm like, "Okay, like, I understand what's going on. I understand what the movie's going for." And I think it, what it does, it does very well. I do think my only real complaint about it is that I do think that the movie could kind of maybe early on sort of establish a little bit more that this is a dream sequence. Like, I think it leaves a little bit up for ambiguity where it could probably be a little bit more assertive, like, hey, this is what we're doing. But then again, that's also maybe part of its charm, too. So I don't know. It's a bit of a double-edged sword on that one. But yeah, 9 out of 10. Still well worth a watch. Cool. Uh, and yeah, David, uh, you've got your new documentary coming out soon in search of darkness part three coming out October 6th, right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, our sale for the film comes out, uh, starts October 6th through Halloween at midnight. Okay. And if you go to eighties horror eight zero S horror that's where you find it. But it, yeah, it's the capper to a, a trilogy. It's in search of darkness part three. And, this is the longest one uh, we've made so far. The other ones have been four and a half hours or so each, and this one uh, surpasses five hours. Uh, oh. It's the same structure where it goes year by year with a bunch of movies, uh, uh, segments that we explore the films and we talk to the filmmakers and people who love it uh, and the actors and so on. And uh, in between, it's got larger context chapters talking about Uh, more about uh, whether it's an artist's spotlight or the uh, context of what was happening in uh, in the world at the time that influenced these films Um, visionary directors who knows what it's lots of really really good stuff we have uh, 70 interviews in this one uh, of all your horror favorites and uh, lots and lots and lots of brand new faces to the franchise and return faces as well and I wanted to say that in Search of Darkness Part 1, we tackled, uh, I happily tackled uh, Phantasm 2, and we talked to Mark Shostrom, uh, who did all the effects on Phantasm, and he gave some real insight into how these things were made and uh, what it was like to uh, be on the set for that. And uh, that was, for me, loving all of these films, I love Phantasm 2 that much more. And so to be able to include that and talk about it with uh, someone who was there uh, really made it special for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to checking it out. I uh, binged both part one and part two over a weekend uh, and it was just fantastic. So yeah, really excited for part three and uh, definitely would recommend all the listeners uh, check it out. Uh, that's quite the binge watch that's nine hours of of movie that you you devoted to uh diving into 80s horror but also to like that's just my i jokingly refer to or warmly refer to as my brain dysfunction because 
I've also watched the Friday the 13th documentary, the one that's like, uh, it's it's close to like eight hours long. I've watched that yeah, probably. Yeah, just like memories. Uh -huh. Yeah, I've watched that probably three or four times. And why I've done it three or four times, I couldn't tell you, but I just, sometimes it's nice <laughs> to just put something on and just have people talking about your favorite movies. So, you know. But what, what this stuff is, whether it's Crystal Lake Memories, Never Sleep Again, you know, You're So Cool, Brewster, you know, Wolfman's yeah. Got Nards, or an In Search of Darkness movie. Um, it's, it's, we all love this era so much, and we all love the films mm -hmm. so much, but they we're all kind of outsiders in, in modern society when it comes to horror. Horror has mainstreamed always a lot more, but still when it comes down to it, you need to be able to talk about the stuff with the people who love it. That's what you guys do on your podcast. You all get it, and you love it. Mm -hmm. So you, you sit by the by the fire and and talk your campfire campfire tales about all these great movies and mm -hmm. so these movies are, are celebrations and validations uh of the stuff that you love and i think that's what makes them so watchable yeah totally agree awesome well david where could people find you on uh, social media if they want to follow along get updates on the movie and whatnot yeah best place to go is uh 80s HorrorDoc.com, like I said, uh, all the socials on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram are at 80s Horror Doc. Um, my handle on uh, Twitter, which I'm pretty active on, is uh, at Tiki Ambassador. Uh, and I have a site called It Came From Blog.com where I share a lot of my uh, interviews and thoughts and geek geekery um and i have a steady stream also on twitter uh and instagram and facebook with that at it came from blog um and so that's that's fun for me because it's sort of like a steady brain dump of all the pop culture factoids and trivia and nonsense that i'm constantly thinking of i love you know something I rem i'm reminded of something that i loved i find it i post it it's out there and people if they get a kick out of it and they're like oh my god i haven't yeah i either didn't know about that or i haven't thought of that since I was a kid, if it brings people some nostalgic joy, I'm happy to curate it. Awesome. Okay. And uh, Steve, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Steve Dead. Uh, you can also find my website, stevestepping.ca. And then I am on uh, The Shift with Shane Hewitt every Thursdays at 11 p.m. Pacific. And that is uh, across Canada that that show airs. Taylor, where can people find you on the internet? Um, when I'm hanging out online, I'm usually on Instagram or Twitch. My username is Techronomicon. I have a blog, circeanic.home.blog. If I do anything else online, apologies for the cars driving by in the background. Um, <laughs> and I upload scores uh, from the movies we watch on this podcast on my letterbox. My username is also Circeanic. Awesome. Yeah, I'm over on Twitter, Film Critic Kurt. You can find me there. You can also find me talking movies over on 630 Ched out of Edmonton, which is always a fun time. Talked with uh, Chris this past week about how to tackle that watch list. How do you manage to get through a watch list, even though it seemingly gets bigger and bigger every single day? Um, and then uh, I'm also on Letterbox Fatal Koala. Because uh, koalas can be fatal. You gotta be careful with those guys. <laughs> uh, Watch that pouch. Yeah, they <laughs> they just drop down on you, and that's it. That's it. That you're done. You can't you can't survive with the koalas. Uh, 
Uh, nature's junkie. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, David, thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to uh, checking out In Search of Darkness Part 3 very soon here. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you guys hanging out with me and giving me an excuse to talk about Phantasm and other fun <laughs> stuff. Awesome. Well, until next time, listeners, bye for now.